I'm making one of my favorite drinks right now, an old fashioned with a mix of two ounces of Kentucky 7 by Spiritless, one ounce simple syrup, three dashes of aromatic bitters, and topping it off with an orange peel for garnish. I have to say, this is one of the best non-alcoholic cocktails I have ever made. Spiritless Kentucky 74 has a really smooth finish with underlying notes of caramel, vanilla, and oak that add to the complexity of this cocktail. And with only 35 calories, it's an interesting, tasty, and healthy drink you can have any time of the day. Hi everyone, I'm Marco Salazar and welcome to the For All Drinks podcast, your place for discovering delicious non-alcoholic beer, wine, spirits, mocktails, and more for leading a fun, healthy, and inclusive lifestyle. On today's episode, we'll be chatting with Lauren Chitwood, co-founder and CEO of Spiritless and talking all things non-alcoholic spirits and bourbon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Creating a non-alcoholic spirit in the birthplace of bourbon isn't for the meek and mild, but the spiritless team's history of entrepreneurship coupled with their decades of foolproof spirit experiences told them it could be done. The result was Kentucky 74, a beautifully distilled non-alcoholic spirit crafted to complement your favorite bourbon cocktails. It serves up a high quality smooth finish underpinned by familiar tones of caramel, vanilla, and oak. Spiritless allows you to cut down your alcohol intake and your calories so you can shake, stir, sip, and celebrate the way you want. So here she is, Lauren from Spiritless. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the Four All Drinks podcast. Hi, Marcos. Thanks so much. I'm excited to chat with you because the other day I made one of the best old fashions I've ever tasted using Spiritless. And you have provided one of the best bourbon alternatives in the non-alcoholic beverage space. So to kick it off, I'd love for you to share where the idea for Spiritless come from. I, I am sitting here talking to you today in Louisville, Kentucky. So that brown water runs in our veins. I think it felt very natural for us to dive in. We were working with big beverage alcohol companies. We were working with also a lot of large conglomerates that were touching consumers that were around culinary elements. So whether that was Marriott or it was a Brown Foreman brand. And really in, in all of those interactions in our agency, we had brand managers calling us just at a very last minute going, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I forgot this, but this is really important. Can we have something non-alcoholic and can it not be water, tea, coffee, juice, nothing syrup based, nothing in a can. There was this huge list of qualifiers and they were saying, could you call celebrity mixologist and have him make us a tincture tomorrow for a thousand people. And you go, no, I can't. And so when we dove into the data and really looked at what I'm sure you're very aware of, it, it just felt like this was a, this was an enormous opportunity and certainly bourbon being Kentuckians just felt incredibly natural to us. Awesome. And, and can you share a little bit about who us is? Oh, I would love to. So uh, I have two co-founders, Lexi Larson and Abby Ferguson. Lexi grew up actually in the large-scale man manufacturing business. Abby grew up in the hospitality business. She was on the, the founding team of the New York City Food and Wine Festival and then the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival. I grew up and started my career actually in the large event business. So we have been feeding and providing cocktails to people for many years. And yeah, so we're all, we all met actually via, um, via our previous business and have been enjoying drinks together and scaling businesses and raising families and being moms together for, for about a decade now. I love that. I, it sounds like there's a lot of complementary skills as well as complementary differences from a co-founding team. So 
when you had this idea, you're looking at the data, you see there's an opportunity there. How do you end up deciding to just open up a distillery, start producing or manufacturing? What was that process? Yeah, I think that there's always a perfect storm, which I think that we ran mostly an experiential agency and you're a little bit on that client hamster wheel still, right? Which that's another business that we can go into it, but we just started really looking at the amount of white space and just said, this has the potential to be so much bigger than that. And I think that whether it be just ambition or curiosity, we said, let's try to figure it out. It was interesting when we looked at the space, one of the things that we saw that was, that we felt was missing, but we also knew was incredibly important was process. We'd been working with these amazing prestigious brands and they all have very succinct, very powerful storytelling about how those liquids are made. And when we dove into the space, we mostly found people going to a flavor house and doing a little bit of a dropper of this and a dropper of that. And we just said, oh, that doesn't resonate with us, what we know to be spirits and these precious liquids. And so we said, we're going to, we want to process. And oh my goodness, the journey that we went through to, to get a process, but thankfully, and I, and I would love to talk you through it. We've got that under our belt now. And, and I think as you've experienced with your old fashioned, we really have something that we feel like stands head and shoulders uh, above the herd and processed as a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'd love for you to get into the process. And before you do that, I think you're bringing up a super interesting point when it comes to the education of consumers and people that are becoming introduced to non-alcoholic beverages is they don't quite fully comprehend the time and energy and investment that goes into making a really good non-alcoholic spirit. They have a previous framework of cheap non-alcoholic beverages and now there's this whole new generation of beverages and now they understand why they are at a higher price point than previous non-alcoholic beverages yeah the amount of care and research and development and exploration and sourcing and distilling and then reverse distilling and all of those things that, that go into it, I believe are, you know, essential and obviously have been very fruitful for us. I would say that probably even when we started, I, I don't know that we knew all of the, the time and energy and frankly, financial investment that was going to go into getting this right. And before you even get into the, the distillation yeah. process, can you share the difference between, say, whiskey versus bourbon and what's the typical flavor profile of a bourbon? For us, we generally look for something that's a little bit on the sweeter side. And when we were developing this, this product, we were, were also looking for something that didn't necessarily have very sharp edges from a palate perspective. And I, I wanted you to blend beautifully, but I didn't want you to feel like a rye. I didn't want you to feel like this kind of really rough and rough and tumble product either. One of the other things that we thought a lot about was heat, because I think that there are people trying to, to replicate the sensory experience of the burn of alcohol with heat. And you spend a lot of time thinking about that, right? Because it, it's so natural to, to foolproof spirits, that burn, that moment that takes your breath away. And we ultimately decided that heat was not a priority for us because I find that you get more of a red hot sensation that just builds versus, versus really getting that kind of that burn and that sensory reaction on the other side. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that burn can overpower the typical bourbon flavor notes of caramel or vanilla mm -hmm. or oak. So can you share a little bit about how you all developed your distillation process? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it started in Alexi's basement and actually we had a popcorn tin that was about waist high that we put a commercial sous vide down inside that pot and we sealed it off with this kind of metal lid that then went out to a PVC pipe that made the, an, an elbow that then connected to a sump pump and a cooler. We used duct tape. It was about as unprofessional rigged as it could have ever been. And we were buying bulk old Forester and we were trying to explore what, what was going to happen if we essentially low and slow dealkalized it. And we learned a lot of good lessons. We had trouble getting the ABV quite low enough. We got it. It was like, like a, a bad beer. We couldn't get it below that. There wasn't quite enough from a palate and a flavor perspective left either, but we were just, we were tinkering and we were thinking, and all the while we were also walking around the backs of distilleries. So we're, we're obviously in, in a hotbed of distilling. So we're talking to all of the good old boys and they're going, you guys are going to blow up your houses. You're going to kill your kids. Don't do this. It's not going to work. And we said, no, something's going to work here. I believe it. And we actually ended up finding a chemical engineer. She was a former Diageo team member that, that had a consultancy in Brown Spirits. And we actually pulled her off of a, off of a job site in Switzerland. And I, I really didn't give her the opportunity to say, no, I said, you have to come because <laughs> we have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so um, she's been able to help us now develop a process that we have both a process and an application patent around for making non-alcoholic spirits, which is really exciting. So we buy really high quality corn-based grain neutral spirit. We have a proprietary blend of American oak and all the char levels that that we knew were going to bring out the flavor profiles that we wanted. So you're right, the mocha, the caramel, the vanilla. And essentially what we do is we put it on a pot still and just a barrel sits in a rickhouse. And and if you were making bourbon and in that crazy Kentucky weather, temperature goes highs and lows over the years and it expands and contracts in that barrel. And four years later, you get bourbon at minimum. What we do is we mimic that that process in a few hours. So we're modulating temperature and pressure and highs and lows. And we are forcing that neutral alcohol to interact with our oak and extract all the amazing flavor out of it. We then take it off the still. It comes off. It's extremely potent. I would call it like a quadruple oak spirit if you could wrap your brain around it. Because if you recall, one of the things we learned in the basement was that there wasn't quite enough left. Like by the time you're buying, because we thought about just buying bourbon, right? And ripping the alcohol off. But again, by the time you prove it down, there just, there wasn't enough. We had to make that starter stronger. And so the essential uh, next step is when we do what we call reverse distillation. So we're at a very kind of specific process, taking off the ethyls and the esters. It allows us to get those just exact molecules off by leaving all the amazing flavor molecules in the pot. And what's really great is that our, actually our waste product is to be used again as our starter. So we've got this nice upcycling story that we're really proud of in terms of just trying to control waste. And the, the key thing, what is left in the pot is this amazing concentrate that holds on to all the tannins and the oils and everything that makes your your palate go, oh my goodness, I think that's bourbon breath. There's something there. And so that is the lion's share of what is Kentucky 74. Wow. Thank you so much for taking us through that. And again, understanding that there's a lot of time and energy and sometimes even more effort making a non-alcoholic beverage that tastes good versus an alcohol beverage. 
I would say I'm a yes. I, I I didn't know that when I started, but I sure as heck know it now, Marcos. When you ended up all launching, because you launched probably at the end of 2020, right? During the pandemic. Um, how did yes, the launch did. go? How did that and how did it go within the context of the pandemic? I think that always the challenge for beverage brands is a sips to lips and wanting people to actually taste it. And that's even more important for non-alcoholic beverages. But that changed with the pandemic. So how did everything change for you all? Yes, I will say we were really fortunate that we were able to bring a, bring a pretty incredible team to the table. And also, I think this is such a distinct opportunity with this international health crisis that we're in. The consumer is going, dang, I got to be healthy. And if I look at all these people that are really sick here, you know what? They're usually overweight. And I see the data is overwhelming. And so I think that we obviously know that that quarantine certainly played in a, in a considerable rise in consumption. I also think that it played in a considerable rise of just awareness around what we're putting into our bodies and why. And while we can't you know, necessarily blow out the on-premise, which is probably and very clearly our plan, right? When we started, because we've got such a wonderful Rolodex of people in the trade, we were really fortunate to be able to step into some advantageous press opportunities and have really felt, felt a, a pretty significant degree of success, greater than what we expected, to be honest, considering the times. Yeah. And I think part of that, when I first heard of Spiritless, is you all have developed a very sophisticated brand in terms of look and style. And how did that eventually come about? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The brand, I think that, that was probably where we felt the most confident in terms of just what we inherently knew. Premium is a hugely important. Storytelling is hugely important. All of that data sits so clearly in the beverage alcohol space in terms of how consumers are wanting to experience this. And when we started thinking about this, we knew education had to be clear, We, which is why we were very intentional around spiritless, right? It's almost so freaking obvious that it hits you on the head. We also talked a lot about there's, there's some very interesting, really delicious products out there right now, but it doesn't necessarily draw a straight line. If it shows up on your doorstep, how the heck do I use this stuff? And I think for us, we wanted to be able to draw straight lines to take as much confusion out of the consumer experience as possible. So on our label, Kentucky 74, I think you get it, right? And it says a non-alcoholic spirit for bourbon cocktails. Obviously, we can't be a non-alcoholic bourbon legally, but you know what? We can be a non-alcoholic spirit for bourbon cocktail. We were we really tried to hit all those notes. We wanted a bottle to be something that you were proud to carry into a party. We wanted it not to feel like you didn't want to feel like a second class citizen if you brought it as a hostess gift. And we wanted it to feel like something both a man and a woman could really proudly embrace. And I think that I think we checked both of those or all of those boxes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as soon as the consumer takes a look at it, uh, the bottle, you've, you've essentially created an experience rather than just a product for people to consume. We were talking a little bit about this before the podcast in terms of the importance of restaurants or bars to really try to, and more specifically bars, carry non-alcoholic beverages so that consumers feel welcome. And what have What's been your path in terms of engaging with bar owners and have they been open to it? Has it been a bit challenging? What's that been like? 
So I think that while inclusion is something that I think that we all can get around as Americans, we're capitalists first. And, and the reality is we're making bars more money, which is to say, if, if you've got somebody sitting at your bar and they're not drinking, the reality is that you don't have something to sell them, not that they are cost sensitive. And that data is very clear. So as we're going in to have these conversations, we're talking about this enormous scope of applications that allow them to sell in when otherwise they had nothing. They had a bottomless Diet Coke or a, or a water. I think that as we are seeing the, the on-premise open up, we are so excited to, to be there and be ready. We're so excited to be partnered with them in a variety of fashions. Like we blend beautifully with foolproof spirits. When you try our product, whether it's halvesies or with, with a component in a cocktail with foolproof spirits, we allow the trade not to overproof drinks. You start not overproofing drinks, you can get another round out of them. There's so many different occasions that were highly applicable. And, but this is education like right here, right now. So is every opportunity that we have to be able to enforce and continue that with the trade, it just starts to make great business sense for them so quickly. And certainly the inclusion piece of that is a close second. I think there's even a, a deeper layer with that because that's if people actually go, if they're a non-drinker to the bar. And if there are restaurants or bars specifically that do cater or provide really tasty, complex, interesting options where people feel like they're absolutely included, they're more likely to visit that on a regular basis. Oh, I agree totally. My husband is a non-drinker and he was always, he always called himself a shameless non-drinker. Like he was so happy to be out and could have given what, whether there is something or not. But... With that being said, he is so excited to go places and have an athletic and he's so thrilled. And so I think that the more that we can start to blur those lines and the more that we can create locations and opportunities that have a predominant non-alcoholic menu is just is just good for everybody. So. Yeah, you're, you're making me think I, I was listening to this kind of podcast and they were talking about networking at conferences and you're at the bar. And one of the things that this person specifically said is be sure to buy a drink, but don't drink it because you want to be present, but you got to pretend like you're drinking. And what this does is that anxiety or that whole mental strain that you even have to think about that is eliminated by having products like Spiritless in a bar. And I tell stories all the time that we did tons of selling and tons of hosting in, in our previous business. And there's nothing like selling a group of four men brand managers at a dinner when you're at 125 pound, five, two female, and you're trying to keep up and it's impossible, but you're in it to close and you want to keep up. And so those opportunities, even if you are a drinker to be able to have a spacer or to switch to something non-alcoholic, there were so many moments in my life, even as somebody that occasionally consumes alcohol, that I felt the strain of, of keeping pace or having an alternative just so I was included in that conversation and it didn't feel like it had to close at that time. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. So taking a step back from the actual beverage and more about the business, can you share a little bit about how you and Abby and Lexi as three co-founders work together and complement each other and what are the different roles that you all play? 
Absolutely. So Lexi is everything that is operations, production, and product. She grew up actually walking Pepsi's bottling line in her family business and so knows a ton about logistics and scale and, and all of those really essential pieces. Because frankly, what we know for sure is that if that doesn't work, nothing works, right? If you can't get a product into a consumer's hand, then you're then it's broken. And we've that that has happened to us still with all the knowledge that we have. And then Abby is entirely focused right now on trade and how are we educating and who are we bringing around the table to tell the spiritless story and also some sales in those pieces. And then certainly my role right now is predominantly focused on making sure that spiritless is incredibly well capitalized to be able to step into this opportunity that we see in front of us and also heavily focused on, on recruitment and then also sales as well. And what's your favorite part of working? Oh my gosh. I just, I like live to build. Like I just, and, and I think this is very consistent with me. And I would say, even if I look back into my past in the event world, what is so wonderful about events is that you build and build, you end with a big, a big ta-da, and then you're done and you move on to the next one. And there's, there's so much about building a brand that is just like very milestone based. And so we're always going for that next ring. And yeah, I just love seeing it happen. It is so exciting. And of course there are bad days, right? This is, this is hard work, but it, it just excites me to know in to be able to build this business with such an incredible group of people. And as we're bringing people into the fold to have and help them see that vision and we're all doing it together, it's just the most rewarding piece of the process. Can you share a little bit more about what is your background and what are experiences that have helped drive and influence Spiritless? I graduated in 2008. I have a PR degree. So I also, I, apparently I have this special knack in starting businesses and like financially complex moments. Apparently that's also, that's my superpower. <laughs> if the market may be in trouble, I'm in. And frankly, I, I was fortunate to have an affluent network coming out of school and I didn't want to sell banner ads online and I didn't want to go back to school. And I said, you know what? I think these people answer the phone when I call. I, I did a lot of events at, at school while I was there. And, and I said, I, I think I can start an event business. It's low cost entry. And I think I know these people and was very fortunate, ended up scaling that business to pretty significant levels. I joke, but I'm very serious. It was the best and the worst business ever. There was lots of cash flow. We managed around $10 million a year in events, but 30 weekends a year, I was somewhere not sleeping, dealing with some sort of insanity, despite all of the very professional, sophisticated plans. It's just what events are. It's what live events are. And I think that there is something about the event business and the hospitality business really globally, which is the show must go on, right? There's always a solution. There's always a plan B. There's always a pivot. And I lived that in such a very intimate, intimate way for the better part of a decade with very high stakes, people spending a million dollars for an evening. And while I was really glad to, to see and to make a transition out of that business, I also will say the the idea of going into battle, if you will, because that's what a lot of these weekends felt like physically, emotionally, you go in with a plan and you try to execute and you're just like grinding. There's just something about that that's very natural to me that also I, I live in spiritless now and think about this is just the same thing. It just is a war that never ends, almost an event that never finishes. And after I sold that business, I, I was looking for kind of what my next thing could be. I felt like I wanted to be out of the leisure business. So I was looking for, for more corporate work maybe, but didn't quite know. 
And I met Abby and Abby had this amazing Rolodex. So whether you were Thomas Keller, the French laundry, or you were like the Memphis barbecue guys, and she was able to, to get to them. And I said, this is hugely valuable. What do we do here? And so essentially we started a company called Olio. And what Olio did is it connected the trade and the consumer to big beverage mm-hmm. conglomerates and other brands like Marriott, like Amex and, and all the kind of usual suspects in the alcohol world. Anybody that had a culinary lens, you were our targets. And we did all kinds of things in, in that business, which was maybe an influencer campaign, maybe doing a big build and popping up at a festival, maybe doing an after party at Tales of the Cocktail, you, you name it. We were throwing things together and, and, and pitching a lot. And so that's when the opportunity for Spiritless became really apparent to us and it was all born. And then Lexi ran that business. She did operations for Olio. And so that's how we all got connected. Yeah. Love it. And where do you see you all in the next like few years? What's the vision for the company? Yeah. I think one of the things that is that I am thinking and spend a lot of time being thoughtful about right now is what kind of footprint does Spiritless want? I think that we are in, in shocking ways, waking up to inquiries daily. I want to buy two containers for Australia. I'm like, could we have picked mm-hmm. a farther place? I, and the reality is this movement is global. It is also just, it is just not small from an opportunity perspective. And as we start looking in this longer lens of probably year two to year three, thinking about like pulling out that, that big map and thinking about the world and what, what that might look like and how do we scale and and put teams in all the right places. I say right now in the next 18 months, we're really focused on leaning heavily into the inventory demands and the opportunity that we're seeing and really making sure that the U.S. knows that Spiritless is the word. That's awesome. Are there any thoughts of other products? hundred percent. You know it. So what's exciting is we've got tequila proofed out on our bench top still. Awesome. And again, it's another one of those opportunities where I will say that by way of process, we feel like we're really able to, to hit it out of the park, but also because of process, because of time, because of having to be very purposeful and how we're distilling and creating the, creating these things, it does take time because going from 10 gallons on a bench top to a hundred thousand gallons is, is it's not a straight line to be very clear. We're hopeful that we'll be joining the marketplace this year, but we shall see. Where do you see the non-alcoholic beverage industry as a whole going and the impact that it's going to have on people? Yeah, I think that people are going to absolutely understand that the days of O'Doul's right? The days of feeling like a square or maybe they're in recovery. Oh, and again, recovery is the best thing that happened to a lot of people in my life. And we don't downplay it, but there's baggage. I think that is, that stigma is really going to be washed away in a wonderful way. I think that you're going to find that people are absolutely starting to think about incorporating these products into their lives with without feeling labeled in any way. And I'm a, I'm a spiritless drinker Monday through Friday, and I'm a Habsies drinker, which is one ounce of Kentucky 74 and one ounce of my favorite bourbon on the weekends. And there's this is very fluid. This isn't something that's really on or off. It's about a moment in time. And I think that you're going to see the, the consumer base as a whole really seeing it that way and, and looking for those options. So I think we're going to just see an enormous flood of, of drinkers People that, you know, probably five years ago would have never thought to reach for no duels or another kind of non-alcoholic alternative and really say, oh, I get this now and this stuff is good. And I think that's really what we're seeing and what we hope that Spiritless can be the most 
helpful in providing is growing liquid excellence in a way that when the liquid crosses that drinker's lips, they go, no joke. That's pretty slick. I would do that. And, and that's the moment. And, and I think that we're seeing more products come into the marketplace that, that are going to help that moment happen. And we're thrilled about it. Love it. Thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing your story and also just creating an amazing product. Thanks. Oh, thanks for the vote of confidence. I appreciate it so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. And if you've been looking for a bourbon substitute, Spiritless is your answer. If you're subscribed to the show, thanks for being part of the For All Drinks community. I'd be super grateful if you can take a moment to leave me a rating if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, be sure to subscribe to this and all the other episodes of the podcast to start discovering more delicious non-alcoholic drinks. Lastly, visit foralldrinks.com for show notes to this episode and sign up for our newsletter to get the latest non-alcoholic beverage news, special giveaways, discounts, and more. Here's to drinking healthy, inclusively, and different. See you all next week.